John chapter 1, verses 1 through 13. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God, whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. This morning, as we continue our History of Redemption sermon series, uh, a series that's accompanied by the readings and reflections at BibleTogether.com, I know a number of the kids and households have been following along there. We're also this morning moving into a season of Advent. Now, you can kind of see that because we changed the slide. It's snowing. We have to have some indication in Florida that it's Advent. It's hard to know any other way. We had like two days of 50-degree weather, and now it's back to 80 again. But we are in this season of Advent. Now, we celebrate Christmas in just a few weeks, but we observe the season of Advent. We celebrate Christmas, but we observe Advent. This is actually the order of our celebration service every week. Our celebration service is actually called a service of celebration and remembering, and then we just sort of shorten it to celebration service. Uh, Our celebration every morning, uh, Sunday mornings, is actually born of our remembering, our observance of grace, our observance of the hope of the gospel creates celebrating. So we observe, that is, we give attention by the conformity of our thoughts and the conformity of our actions, our behaviors as we gather, to a reality that is outside of us. See, there is a God, and there is his gospel, and it is outside of us. And we remember And we remember so that we would be informed and transformed so that we would be truly transformed in our deepest heart to celebrate what we have remembered. Throughout the story thus far, what we've seen in the history of redemption, we've seen a rebellion and sinful people, a people who plunge God's good creation into deep darkness. Even as we've seen the generosity of God's generosity, his goodness, his grace. We've seen him move toward this people, even this people who plunge creation into darkness. And he moves toward them with a covenant by which he has been revealing his purpose of redemption. That's why we call it the History of Redemption Sermon Series. And so my prayer is that the Lord Jesus Christ would use his word today and in this season to again draw close to a people. That's an amazing reality, that we could pray and ask our God, our creator, to grant us that he would draw near 
to us, that you and I would see the truth in his light and receive him and gain life. Let's pray to that end together. Let's join together in that prayer. Heavenly Father, it's a miraculous thing that we would know and turn to you in an expectation that you would tutor us, that you would draw near to us. You're the one who's called the gathering to begin with. How much more would you draw near? Would you inform us of your great light, that you would be revelation to us, and that you would grant to us, us by your grace, your great life? We pray that you would do this miracle in the midst of this gathering this morning. We will call it grace and we will celebrate your good name as you do so. Thank you, Lord. We pray this in your name. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Well, if you look at the passage this morning, John 1, in the beginning was the word. We'll see very quickly that John is introducing us to the word. And what we're going to see is that in introducing us to the word, John is actually introducing us to Jesus. In John verses 1 through 1, 1 through 5, John introduces us to five realities about this word, about Jesus. So let's pay attention. Let's see what the word has to say to us this morning. We begin in verse 1. Follow along with me. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. This is actually where we began way back 13 weeks ago at the beginning of this History of Redemption sermon series. We began with Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, right? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So there was a beginning before the beginning. There was a God who was there, and we're told that the Word was there before the beginning, before the creation of the heavens and the earth. We have to step back to a time before the beginning. And who was there? Jesus, the Word. And what we see is that he is the Word from eternity to the present. Second thing we see about the Word, I'm going to read verse 1 and then go into verse 2. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. John is speaking of the one who is both with and is God. Now, that's a weird thing to talk about, right? How is something both with something and is actually the thing itself? Well, I don't understand how to be that. I don't understand how to do that. I don't understand really very well how to conceive of that. And let me suggest to you the reason why is because I am not God. I am lesser than that, and I am a created being. He is not He is who he is. The word is with God, and the word was God in the beginning. Here's how the Athanasian Creed puts it. That we worship one God in Trinity and the Trinity in unity, neither blending the persons nor dividing the essence. Do you see that? There's a labor with all of these words, and you'll see them. They're all trying to do this. It's not that there is a blending of the persons, nor is there a dividing of the essence. For the person of the Father is a distinct person of the Son is another, and that the Holy Spirit is another. But the divinity of the Father, Son, and Spirit is one. Their glory equal, their majesty co-eternal. 
thus. The Father is Lord, the Son is Lord, the Holy Spirit is Lord, yet there are not three lords. But there is one Lord. This is what we confess about the Trinity. And we can confess it because we're repeating back to God what he has revealed is true about himself. Not what's true about you, not what's true about me, not what's true about created order, but what is true about that which is before the beginning. What is true about God. And we repeat back to him what he has revealed, what he only truly knows. He is the light. And he has given us revelation by his light. This is one of the many places in the New Testament that we see two things. First of all, an increasingly clear picture of the Trinity. In John chapter one, we have an increasingly clear revelation of the reality about God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And secondly, the reality of the working of the Trinity throughout the whole of biblical history. The Trinity is not a new conception. God the Son is not a stepping a new on, onto the scene in the incarnation. He was there in the beginning. And as we'll see next, verse three, he was the creator in the beginning. Verse three, all things were made through him. And to be clear, without him was not anything made that was made. It's just saying the same thing. All things were made through him. Everything. Jesus is not merely working redemption. He doesn't appear on the scene when redemption is prepared to be accomplished. He's the worker of all of creation. From the first creation until the final redemption, Jesus is the agent of the whole of redemptive history. I'll say it again. The whole time, from creation through redemption and on into eternity, Jesus is the agent of the whole of history. This ought to both correct and utterly rebuke the disastrous error that now that we turn the page to the New Testament, we have somehow moved on to another God altogether. It's just not what is revealed to us in the scriptures. He who works redemption is both working out the history of redemption for the, from the first generous act of creation. Let's remember that, that creation itself was an act of grace, was an act of generosity, God giving being to that which had no being. There was no creation to be, and yet he gifts in a work of generosity, in a work of giving, a work of grace, being to creation. He is at work from the first act of creation all the way through the grace of the cross and sustaining his church to this day and forevermore. This is Jesus, the word made flesh. Then verse four, in him, in this word, was life, and the life was the light of men. Life and light. I've used the word generosity often when speaking about creation. That we have being, that we have life, is not something that is self-sourced. Stick with me on that. Think about it. Life is not self-sourced. Now, by God's miraculous gift of the way that he makes life, it, it becomes sort of self-propagating, but not self-sourced, never not dependent. That we have being, that we have life, 
is not a self-sourced reality. Our life does not emanate from somewhere deep within ourselves. Do you hear a little bit of a correction about the, the way that we tend to conceive of ourselves in our sort of our contemporary cultural environment? We are neither self-created, which means we are also not self-defined, which also means that we are not self-sustained. We are because the word is. Think it, hear it, receive it, observe it, and celebrate it again. We are because the word is. We will begin to come back to that in just a moment, looking at the light in more detail. But for now, let's go on to verse five. Verse five, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. The light shines in the darkness. This is the light that shines into the fall. This is the next step of redemption history. We began by considering in the beginning, right? And we we go back to in the beginning, we have this beautiful, generous, God-given creation. And then we have this next step of the fall. We know that God made all things. We also know that mankind rebelled against God's generous rule. And we threw all of creation into judgment. And in throwing all of creation into judgment, we threw all of creation into darkness. This is the darkness into which the light, who is the word, shines. Do you hear that? Darkness is judgment upon mankind for our sinful rebellion, and yet the creator word, light, life, shines into the darkness that has rebelled against him. You know what you call that? It's called grace. Generosity, yet again. All that we've covered in the last two months is boiled down to this. The Lord of generous grace created all things. Mankind rejects the Lord, plunging creation into darkness. And the Lord, in abundant, generous grace, steadfast love, shines his light into the darkness. This is not a new pattern. The the New Testament is not truly new if we've been paying any attention at all. Over and over again, the Lord God has shined his light, making known the truth about himself and the truth about life and the truth about hope and the truth about redemption. And now the light has come to dwell among us and to accomplish the means by which we might take a hold of it once and for all. This is the incarnation. It's the center of our advent hope. And we're told that the darkness has not overcome it. Or as some translations say it, it says, has not understood it. The the great light of glory, the word, steps into the darkness. Visualize that. What does it look like for light to step into darkness? And yet the creation fails to receive him. For Jesus at his birth, there was no room for him in the inn, right? King Herod with bloody murder had no room for him in his kingdom. The cities and the synagogues had no room for him in their mists. And in the end, the crowds, they deserted him. The disciples scattered and denied him. And the religious and political leaders, they murdered him. At the fall, Adam and Eve sought to overturn God's purpose in creation. But the Lord begins to reveal a covenant of redemption. And he steps into that reality. And we show ourselves to be the children of Adam and Eve. 
over and over again. We prove, yeah, that was our mom and dad. We're just like them, aren't we? But the Lord yet reveals the light of his covenant. Again, at the incarnation, humanity in darkness rejects the light, but the purpose of redemption presses on, presses forward, and the darkness does not overcome it. The darkness does not overcome steadfast love and mercy. This is Jesus. Jesus, the eternal person of the triune God creator that we have being revealed for us in the word. And he steps into the darkness of fallen creation to shine a light that's long promised in redemption, a long hoped for by those who trusted in God's covenant promises, now appears what they're hoping for what they're longing for through the types and through the prophets and through the signs has now appeared. We see him, Jesus Christ, the word made flesh. Let's move on. Verses six and seven, eight. There was a man sent from God whose name was John, a man from God. Scripture has spoken of this man and this moment before John. Now, the Gospel of John is not actually written by this John. I know that's confusing. Two guys named John. Not terribly uncommon, right? Well, this is John the Baptist that's being spoken about here. We know him later and from other Gospels as well. But actually, way back, the prophet Isaiah speaks of him. Isaiah chapter 40, verses 3 and through 5. A voice cries. We don't have the name of the voice, but now we know it's John. A voice cries, in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low. Why do you do that? Have you ever thought about it? Have you ever, you've heard it. Perhaps you've heard it sung in Handel's Messiah. Beautiful text, beautiful song, beautiful music. But what's going on here? What you have is you have a king coming. And when the king comes, you get the place ready so that everybody can see him. You don't want hills standing between you and the king who's coming to town. You don't want valleys and people stuck down in the valleys, not able to look up and see him and as he rides through town. Every valley shall be lifted up. Every mountain and hill be made low and uneven ground shall become level. We're gonna pave the place to be ready for the king. Rough places, a plain, and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. And all flesh shall see it together. No obstructions. The light has come for the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. The Lord has willed. We're going to look at that at the end of our time. The Lord has willed to reveal the son that there would be those who see him and once and for all receive him. Here in Isaiah, we have both the prophecy of the incarnation and the prophecy of the one who would announce the incarnation. Isaiah agrees with our passage this morning that the coming is the coming of Jesus and the the light and the glory of the Lord is revealed. It's the light and glory of the word made flesh. And John announces the coming of Jesus. And yet what are we told? He was, verse eight, not the light. John wasn't the light. He came to bear witness to the light. Let's continue on. Verse nine, the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. John, making preparation, 
calling people to come near and to remove the obstructions of sin and temptation, to be cleansed and prepared to see Jesus. Because it's not hills and valleys that block the way to the great light who is Jesus. It's sin and temptation and the world and the distractions of the flesh that just cause us to not see Christ. It's sin and idolatry. And that's what John came to preach. He preached a message of repentance that we would see the true light, which gives light to everyone who is coming into the world. Let's consider this light. Light is essential, an essential image in Advent. Earlier in Isaiah, just 30 chapters before, in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2, it says this, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. Let's consider light in our passage this morning. We're told, verse 9, that this is the true light. Puritan pastor Stephen Charnock, he holds out three ways that the light of Jesus is the true light. Let's consider these three ways that that Jesus is the true light of the world. Because we're not told that he's just light. We're told that he's the true light. He's the true light in that he is not a type. There are many who have gone before, who have brought light. There have been other lights, you might say. We've just seen John. What did John do? Well, he's shown the light, that the light was coming. Now, he wasn't the light, but he did reveal something, didn't he? Didn't he shine a light of truth and reality? But he's not the light himself. He was a type for the light. We have Adam and Israel. We have Abraham and Moses, David and Solomon, all lights that aren't themselves the true light. We have the prophets and the priests, the tabernacle and the temple, the ram in the thicket and the bull of the day of atonement. Both granting us light to understand the realities of redemption. But the bull could never redeem. It's not the true light. All of these have been images and shadows, messengers and heralds. But the true light was still to come. Jesus is the true not the type. Secondly, Jesus is the true, not the false, right? I mean, that maybe was, that was probably your first thing that you were expecting, right? True, not the false. When Jesus comes, he's the way, the truth, and the life. I remember my youth pastor telling me I was fascinated by truth from a very young age. I wanted to know what was the truth. I was always looking around for books and ideas and conversations to tell me what the truth was. And my youth pastor sitting in his car one day, sitting at a stoplight, he just looked over, Jeremiah, you know that truth has a name and his name is Jesus. You see, when we speak of the true light, we're speaking of the one who is not false. He is neither idolatrous religion, nor is he deceptive philosophy. There are many religions who have wandered off after bales and idols of wood and stone and many other things in created reality. There are many who have thought themselves wise, but who, having rejected the Lord, walk in darkness and idolatry. You see, sin hides in darkness. Sin rationalizes evil deceptions by creating self-affirming religious idolatries. So very often, our religious practices that are false religion are actually cover for our ability to be deceived into temptation. What we want. So we create a religion that affirms what we want. 
or we create self-affirming, false, deceptive philosophies. But when Jesus, the true light comes, what's hidden in darkness is illuminated, and the true righteousness of God is revealed. And he puts down false religion and shows it for the self-righteous deception that it is. And he puts down our vain wisdom that we call philosophy to be no wisdom at all because it doesn't live in light of the glory of the Lord and the fear of him. He is the true, not the false light. And third, he's the true in that he's the original. He's the original light. He's the light that was before all revelation. You see, before the prophets and before the priests and before all those patriarchs that we can name and the kings and their priests and so on, there was the original, the true revelation. He's the radiance of all that come after him is a mere reflection. Consider the sun and the planets. I mean, you can look up and you can see a couple planets, right? You can kind of see them. They're kind of fixed there. You look out in the beautiful Florida night sky and you see that planet radiating at us, right? You know the planet has no light. You know, there's the moon, dead, cold, and yet it shines. The planets, they don't produce their own light. Nothing in the solar system is light except the sun. Only the sun is light. Even the light of lamps. I'm sitting there on my back porch thinking through this illustration. I'm like, is that really true? I don't want to say something that's not true, even in an illustration. Is it really true that that only the sun produces light? And I look up and there's a light above me. I'm like, well, that makes light. Well, how did it get light? Something needed to get those electrons doing their thing. And it turns out that it was coal or wind or something made something move, and and it had energy. And where did those things get their energy? But from the life that is given by the light of the sun. Were it not for the sun, there would be neither light, nor would there be tiny types that are mere derivatives of that first light. This is Jesus. Jesus is the light that gives light to all of creation. There is No other. He is the true and the original. There is no true light apart from him. Now there are two more things in this section of scripture. Verses 10 and 11. He was in the world, Jesus, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. Here we have in mind all of humanity. I think that this verse is speaking to all of humanity generally. The light of the world has always been in the world. He's the creator of the world, and you can see the indicators of him. He's the creator of the world, and yet creation denies the creator. Romans chapter 1, we looked at it just a few months ago. We can consider this, this God who is known and yet suppressed. All peoples in all places see the sun and the moon, and all that the Lord has made and yet failed to acknowledge or give thanks to the God who made them. It's verse 10. Verse 11 continues, he came to his own and his own people did not receive him. Then there were those to whom the Lord made himself known explicitly, not just that they could look at the sun and the moon and the creation and their own very lives and know that they're sustained by a creator, but he made a revelation to a specific people. 
He makes his name known among them. He makes his purposes known to them by his covenants. His people, Israel, rejected both covenant and incarnation. Jesus is the true light. But humanity's pride and ingratitude are utterly linked. I want you to hold these two words. Pride and ingratitude. I mean, just a simple failure to say thank you isn't born of pride. Humanity's pride and ingratitude are utterly linked. The Lord gave life and light to all that is, and yet those who were made do not know him, and neither do those to whom he has revealed himself do they receive him. It's pride which blinds one to the light so that he doesn't see reality. It's pride not seeing, he only knows himself. If you're blinded by your pride, you see one thing, you. We already said that you are not self-lighting, you're darkness. And in your pride, you know only yourself. And so you have only yourself to thank. And though he himself would be nothing apart from light, life, You see, it's folly. It's folly not to give thanks. It's folly to remain in pride, which is darkness. We've rejected him who is our light and life. It's literally, this morning I was struggling for the word. It's self-destructive. It's self-destructive. Pride is self-destructive. It is to deny the very life that grants us life. Pride, a failure of thanksgiving. We've rejected him who is our light and our life, and so we remain in darkness. So we should not be surprised that all we have is darkness and death. And friends, there is a theme throughout history of God's drawing near in covenant grace and generosity. But there is a theme throughout human history and in my life of darkness of death. And we know that pattern. We know that circle. And we shouldn't be surprised. But there remains a word of hope on Advent. Look at verses 12 and 13. But, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. All who did receive him. Though so many in history have wandered off into idolatry, and it's true. Though so many, even among the people called by the name of the Lord, have turned away in unbelief and failure to repent, there are those who have received him. There are people, a remnant in every age, on whose heart God's Spirit has written faith. They received him. It is these who are the children of of God. As we consider these next verses, I think it's important to note that John's emphasis, when he's speaking about what it means to be born, John's emphasis is not actually upon adoption. John's emphasis on which on the means by which we are made children of God is not adoption, though that is emphasized elsewhere in Scripture, a beautiful doctrine of what it means to become a child of of God. It's not John's emphasis here. John's purpose is to emphasize new birth. 
regeneration, not merely a legal declaration on which there is strong follow-through by the God of steadfast love, but an actual transformation from a dead thing to a living thing. The gift by which the Spirit of God gives life to the spiritually dead. But first, he demonstrates the futility of natural birth as a hope of redemption. Because even hearing that there's such a thing as, as birth, a way to be born into being a child of God, we think, oh, how could I do that? Right? And, and, and our heart, we, we, we turn in pride. And a failure to receive with thanksgiving, we try to muster up some way by which we could do the born again thing. And here's what he says. And as we continue, verse 12, but uh, to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh. Not of blood, nor the will of the flesh. For this morning's purpose is I'm gonna take these two things together to mean simple human heredity. Again, Stephen Charnock, he writes, religious parents propagate corruption, not regeneration. Even religious parents propagate corruption, not regeneration. Carnal generation is by nature, not by, and I would add the word miraculous, redemptive grace. Here's what he's saying. Rebirth is not the result of your natural station at birth. There's no nobility. There's no racial or religious purity by which a person becomes a child of God by mere human propagation. You can prove it by looking at the story of the scriptures. You remember Abraham had his Ishmael. We have Isaac who had his Esau. Redeeming grace is not a human inheritance. We cannot propagate the earth with God's children simply by a human mechanism of the family. Now, I hope your mind pauses as I say that because I'm going to say it again. It's a challenge to us this morning as, as many of us sit by families, right? We cannot propagate the earth with God's children simply by the hereditary mechanism of family. There's an implication for us here, friends, that the pursuit of family as a means of redemption is an idolatrous error. It is born of pride. It does not lead to thanksgiving, but self-righteousness. Even, and especially in our families, our hope is not the nature of our birth, but the gift of rebirth that we hope in as parents for our children. So there's so many gifts in this, and it's not a, a message on family, though we have a warning here for us. But friends, there's a, there's a freedom that comes to parents. Because if it's, if it's by my nature, I have to look at me. I have to do something in order to accomplish the great end of the propagation that my child will become a child of God. But we're told it's not by blood nor the will of the flesh. And so where do I look? Not to me anymore. I look to my father. That my child would become my brother, my sister. And I long for the spirit of God to do his rebirthing work 
So we make Christ the light of the world known to the children and known to ourselves. What a great grace. How many times is it that children have actually made Christ known to their parents? Eve, she bore Cain. Would the gift of his birth be the hope of mankind by which they would escape death? Eve gets a man, she says. No, mankind in his sin cannot overturn the curse of death by means of mere multiplication, Eve. Cain and every child who would descend from Adam and Eve will be born into darkness. The only hope of humanity is the will of God that he would intervene, and that's why it's called grace. We're told, as we continue in the next, ver- in the next part of the verse, not by blood nor, the will, nor of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man. And I think this is slightly distinct from the others. Remember, we're talking about how does one become a child of God? It's not by birth or human ancestral line, but perhaps it's by some righteous exertion, some religious behavior and willpower of our flesh. We we don't become children of God because we willed it to be so, because we labored it into existence. This is contrary, again, to all nature. No one becomes the child of another by his own will, right? No one becomes the child of another by some exertion of his own will. The will to beget, to beget is the will of the Father. And this is how it is with the rebirth as well. That's why the passage continues. Not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. This is it. This is regeneration. This is rebirth. I mean, John 3.16 and all that surrounds it with the conversation with Nicodemus is all about this. Our hope is the initiative and work of the Lord alone. The Father that he would call us to himself and give us rebirth by his spirit. Let me give an illustration of this message that I think is in this scripture in this way. Can man make a seed grow apart from the sun? So much of the labor of religious activity and vain philosophy is to cause life to beget without the help of the sun, its source. Now, a scientist says, yes, and I've done it. He puts a seed in a chemical soil in a lab. He fashions a lamp to generate artificial light and forces forth a sapling as fruit from the ground. And he cries, I have beget life, right? And I ask him, how did you, I mean, how did you power the light? From where did you gather the nutrients of the soil? Are, are there, these not from the sun, though carefully hidden from your eyes by all of your science, and all of the steps it took to get to that dark lab illuminated by your light, is it not true that you can still trace it back to the sun? Has not his science made him not enlightened, but blind to reality? Unless he opens his eyes to the reality of the sun. You see, the man of science, if he's a man of science alone, is not a man of wisdom, but a fool, continuing in darkness. A fool in his pride. Mankind 
has great pride. Before you say, yeah, them scientists, they really don't get it right, and how do they? We are a people of great pride that remove ourselves from our source over and over again. And our pride makes us blind. It's only the light of grace that doesn't come from ourselves, but comes from God, by which we can be called children of God. Our hope is that Jesus, who's the light and he's the life, who suffered darkness and death on the cross in the place of rebellious sinners like ourselves, that we would, by his grace, repent of sin by his light. Sin we wouldn't even see because we dwell in darkness, but his light reveals and we repent and say, I had no idea of my foolish pride. And that we would be reborn by his life. And we say, I was dead. I was dead, but you begat life. As we move forward in this series of the history of redemption and the culmination of history and the person and work of Jesus, my prayer is that God would give us his light. It's our only hope. There's no life, nothing springing from this soil, but from his light. Shine, Lord, that we may see. You're the creator of all things. You're the miracle worker, recreation, rebirth that we could be called children of God. All of mankind, you and I, this is our singular hope. This is what we observe in Advent, that we would come to also celebrate this singular hope, Jesus, who is the light that's come into the world. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word, your word that records for us the word, the word who is true, the word made flesh. And Lord, I pray that you would do your miraculous thing, something that we think we can do by our various artificial machinations, our self-righteousness and our pride. Lord, would you do effectively, bring us life, do your work not only in our, our, our hearts individually, but in our households and in our extended family that we come into contact with, into our workplaces, into our schools, God, do a work that we would repent and believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ and be forgiven by the grace of your cross to which you have been pointing the whole time in this history of redemption. Lord, this is our one hope, the hope of Advent that we long until we see you face to face when you come again for your church. Thank you, Lord. We trust in these things in the name of that light. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.